Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Christian Sager. And today we are talking about something that seems like it wouldn't blow your mind, but is really interesting and really controversial. Yeah, this is, uh, in a way, we're kind of walking into uh, a trap here because <laughs> this is a, a topic that uh, a lot of people have definite opinions on. You could even say you have, the, there's there's a certain amount of, of, of faith and worldview wrapped up in this topic. Identity, even. Yeah, yeah. Your, your identity, how you fit into the world. Uh, and also, the, the we have studies of kind of a pointing to both sides of the argument, the argument yeah. of organic foods. Yep. We are going to talk about organic food. In particular, we're going to look at the scientific studies into its nutrition value, uh, also its effect on the environment and whether pesticides do anything to us or not. Yeah, and we're approaching this from a you know a, a middle path standpoint here. So again, we're probably going to piss off everybody. Yeah, I, I have not. a feeling that like if you are hardline in any one of those camps, you're going to be disappointed. But if you're just kind of like I was approaching this, like I'm like, you know, I go to the grocery store and I see organic, and I go, hmm, yeah, maybe. But, you know, I also have to, like, weigh my concerns about costs. Yeah. Uh, this is maybe going to be a better episode for those people, people who haven't made up their mind yet and are just kind of generally curious about the science behind agriculture in the United States. Yeah. And if nothing else, again, we're going to approach it with an open mind and it can be a conversation starter. Uh, I'm sure everyone will have some feedback on this because if nothing else, everybody eats <laughs> it's what we all do yep. every day. Well, we have to pick out new foods with which to essentially construct our new bodies. Where to try and put kind of a weird sci-fi spin on it? Yeah. We're all kind of uh, we're like that mad scientist who's lost his body and it's a brain and it's a brain in a jar, and he has to go. <laughs> oh, I need a new body. What am I going to do? I'm going to build it out of corpses. I'm going to build it out of machine parts yeah. or some sort of energy force field. We have that similar situation, except we have to choose more. Uh, oh, these carrots or those carrots. Exactly. Um, do I do do I do meat? Do I do um, uh, you know sweets? What am I building my new body out of? Tombstone pizzas? I don't know. Mm, uh, yeah, I'd say a good like fifteen percent of my body is maybe tombstone and red baron pizzas. <laughs> um, and so, okay, we recognize that you may have some strong feelings about this. So we figured this is a good point for us to at the top remind you of all those places where you can tell us. Uh, what you think about organic food and what you think about our take on it. So we are Stuff to Blow Your Mind, and we are on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram now. On all of those, we're Blow the Mind. Uh, come visit us. Check out the stuff that we're posting there. We don't just post about our own podcasts. Uh, we also do videos, and we write articles. That stuff goes up there. But we also try to curate uh, all the bizarre oddity science stuff that comes across our path as we're doing research through the week. So that's a great place to follow us and see all the kind of like neat, weird stuff that we come up with uh, in our travels. And of course, as always, stuff to blow your mind.com is the mothership. That's where you'll find all the podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, links out to those social media accounts. And uh, hey, expect a facelift for that website in the months ahead. Everything's getting uh, redone, spruced up, yeah. uh, a little more user friendly. Uh, we're looking forward to that. We had a very exciting talk the other day about a potential new stuff to blow your mind logo, which yes. I think I'm very excited about. Yes. It looks very cool. Okay. So, organic food, 
I feel like the best place for us to start is just sort of an introduction into not what it is, but the trajectory of how it became a part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this episode will be U.S. centric because we're both Americans. We live in America and a lot of the science seems to be done here, even right. though a lot of the food is grown internationally. So let's go back. Traditional farming before the Industrial Revolution in the 20th century. Think The Witch, the movie The Witch, right? And they're, okay. they're growing their pathetic little farm in Massachusetts and they're trying to survive, right? That's organic farming. Uh, that's, and that's basically what we're talking about going back to here because uh, in the 1930s, there were two British scientists named Lady Eve Balfour and Albert Howard. And they started looking at the role of agricultural production in healthy food. And in particular, Howard recommended recycling all of our waste, you know, including animal waste and human waste, basically sewage, so that we could feed the soil on our farms. Around the mid-20th century, in comes the influx of chemical pesticides and fertilizers. They started to become widespread. And organic farming actually took on this weird kind of cultish aspect. Like, other farmers sort of looked at it like, why, why are you still bothering with that? Like, and when they would say things like, well, you know, I'm worried about these pesticides and the health effects or whatever, uh, they were looked at as proponents of doom and gloom. Well, you know, I think it's one thing that's important to keep in mind about agriculture in general is just to remind everyone that agriculture itself is essentially unnatural. It's, yeah. it's taking these plants that grow, you know, in a natural balance, in a natural, uh, uh, situation with other plants, taking them and then growing them exclusively in a, you know, a, a plot of land. Yeah, totally. Like, just think of like, uh, and we'll talk about these later, but like even organic practices like rotating crops in a particular way or using predatory animals to pick off, uh, the, the pests rather than using pesticides. Like, you're affecting the ecosystem one way or the other. Yeah, you're still manipulating the environment. And so what we're talking about with agriculture in general is just like, to what degree are you manipulating the environment? What tools are you using to manipulate the environment and on what scale? Absolutely. So in the 60s and 70s, this movement really picks up the organic farming movement. And the reason why is because this book comes out by Rachel Carson called Silent Spring. It sounds like a horror movie. It does. Me. But, uh, <laughs> well, maybe it is. Maybe it's written as a horror movie, organic, uh, food produce. Organic food slasher film. I like yeah. That. Maybe. Wow. That, that's write that one down. Put a copy right next to it. <laughs> Uh, so basically this book emphasized all the problems with pesticides. At the same time, the United States was facing two problems, water pollution from farming and the energy crisis in the 70s. So farmers were like, well, maybe we will start using fewer chemicals just because of these things going on. Now, I'm going to burn through history real quick here, okay? 1980, the U.S. Department of Agriculture starts actually getting interested in organic farming, and they publish a report on it. A year later, in 1981, the American Society for Agronomy argued that organic farming contributed more to sustainable agriculture. However, they had clashes with the Reagan administration, and so some of that stuff didn't necessarily make it to the public as quickly as they wanted it to. By the time we get to the late 80s and the 90s, and I remember these these times well, this was really when I started first hearing a lot about organic farming, and I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, the environmental movement really started to gain sway. There were practices and emphasis on maintaining biodiversity 
animal welfare and fair trade practices. That gets us to 2002. This is when the USDA created what are known as the National Organic Standards, and those overwrite any state regulations and create the labeling system that we use now. So when you go to the grocery store and you look at a label on produce or meat or whatever about what its organic content, that's because of these national organic standards. And I'm going to buzz through them real quick, but they're important to think about when you like, I, I'm glad I read this stuff next time in the grocery store. I'm definitely going to consider it. Okay. If it says a hundred percent organic, that means the product was made only with organic products. Duh. Products that say they are just organic, but they don't say 100% organic, they have to have 95% organic ingredients. And then if they, quote, contain organic products, then they have to have at least 70% organic ingredients in them. If there's under 70%, you don't get a label. No label for you. You don't, you don't get to advertise this. And one thing that's important to remember that I read here is that, uh, the USDA does not regulate, uh, farmers who are producing, I believe it's under 5,000 units. So, you know, if you're just like, if you have a small farm and you go to a farmer's market and you're selling your wares, I, I suppose you could make your own stickers that say organic, even if you're, you know, spraying chemicals all over them. Although and, that seems unlikely. Right. Now, in, in, on the chemical note, it is worth noting here, and I think this is important, that when we're talking about organic farming and conventional farming, yeah. um, because, because, you know, it comes back to the whole thing, like, it, like what is, like organic often feels like a, a weird label because it's not like the alternative is inorganic. Yeah, uh, uh, you're eating metal. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so conventional farmers, they can apply any pesticide approved for use in the United States. Uh, it doesn't mean they can just apply anything. There's a list, okay? Mm-hmm. Organic farmers, they can't use all of the same ke- uh, chemicals. Now, that doesn't mean organic farmers um, you know, um, allow insect uh, pests and weeds to just run rampant. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and they can also use pesticides and weed killers, but they have a smaller list of approved substances to use. Right. So it, yeah. when you're buying organic, it doesn't necessarily mean pesticide-free. Exactly. It just means mm, different pesticides are being used. And there's something to be said about that, too, that we'll, we'll delve into a little bit more later in the episode as well, in that, like, you can be growing crops organically in soil that maybe used to have pesticides mm-hmm. in it, and those pesticides can stick around for a couple of years. Indeed. So here we are. It's 2016, and food safety is still a concern, right? We're all worried about it, uh, especially I thought of you quite a bit uh, during this episode because you have a young child. And yeah. I would imagine that uh, you know, if I were a parent, I would be thinking, what should I put in this little person's body, right? Yeah, I mean that that is always that has been on our mind since uh, that's since probably the son came into our lives. Terrible way to go about talking about feeding a child, but yes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, you're you have all of this all, all of this emotion and energy and time and money yeah. invested in this child, and you want you absolutely want everything to be best for the child. Yeah, and then you find yourself in a situation where you're like, ah, oh, do he he wants he wants these sausages. Uh, well, maybe yeah. maybe sausage isn't a good example because I, I feel like most of the sausage uh, options are probably organic. But all right, so let's say you're, yeah. you're buying fruit because the kid eats a colossal amount of fruit. Yeah, and you're like, do I get them the organic bananas or the normal uh, bananas? Yeah. I want him to have the best, but does it make that much of a difference? And then you end up, especially asking, on your budget. Yeah, on the you got you got to think about how this colossal amount of fruit he's eating costs money, and then you if if I get the organic, sometimes I feel. Like, I, I doubt myself. Am I engaging yeah. in just magical thinking here? Am I sort of curbing my bets like someone who just goes ahead and 
prays to a few different gods in case they're there. Yeah. You know, like in case it makes a difference, I'll go ahead and spend the money on the organic. But is there any is there any science backing me up on this? Yeah. So if you're like Robert and you're out there, maybe you're thinking about that for yourself or maybe you're thinking about it for your children or, or geez, I don't know. Like I imagine some people even think about this with their pets too, right? Like organic yeah. food in pet food is probably a big deal. Uh, because as we'll discuss too, it's like it's there, there's sort of different sides to yeah. why you buy organic. There's sort of the, the, the user, uh, ended, uh, version of it. Like, how's this affecting me? How's this affecting the child or the pet? But then there's also the production level of it. You want to, yeah. you, you're buying a product that is the end result of one version of the agricultural industry and you are buying a product in theory that reflects your ideals for that industry. It's actually a perfect segue into a 2013 paper that I looked into for this episode. Uh, it, in particular, looked at the advertising of organic food and uh, specifically how it highlighted both personal and environmental concerns in tandem. Uh, and now that way is the most influential way to get consumers to buy organic food, especially when the promotional messages align with the core values of consumers' culture, right? So here in America, uh, we're, we align uh, with what in the article is referred to as egoism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we like to think that we align with altruism as well, right? Yeah. And those are the two ways, surefire ways to get somebody to buy organic food is to make them think about themselves mm-hmm. and what's good for them and then to make them think that they're thinking about the welfare of others around them. Uh, and so if you, that's a one-two punch that'll sell organic every time, apparently. And selling organic, I mean, that's, that's a key point here as well, because it's not just, uh, you know, a bunch of roadside farmers, uh, you know, maybe putting a sticker on something. We're talking about an industry that in 2012 was a reported $29 billion industry. And according oh, totally. to Euro Monitor International, this is just one source, yeah. uh, they they claim that uh, by 2017 this could be a trillion dollar global industry. Wow! Yeah. We need to get some organic food sponsors. Yeah, we need to get on it. Yeah, uh, I, there's I, a lot of money. There's a lot of money today. I don't think are food oriented, but I'm going to have a talk with them. Well, we have some coming coming along. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think we do have some food sponsors coming up. But but no, the the key here is that when someone is selling you organic, yeah, they, there are marketing firms involved here. There are graphic yeah. designers involved here. All the the energy and manipulation that goes into selling you absolutely industry. anything is in play here. Yeah. If you've got the government involved, it's a big enough industry for them to be paying attention. And, uh, you know, call me liberal, but I am glad when the government uh, is regulating what goes into my food. Like, I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, there may be some farmers out there that don't like that, but but it, it uh, gives me a little bit of peace of mind. So backing that up, a 2014 poll showed that 45% of Americans are actively seeking to incorporate organic food into their diet. This isn't just like I'm going to the grocery store and I see the organic avocados next to the regular avocados and I grab organic. They're going to the grocery store with a list that says organic avocados on mm-hmm. it, right? Like they want to put it in their diet. In 2015, it was projected that the organic food industry would see a 16% growth rate going into 2020. So that's leading us to that $1 trillion number. Man, put that into perspective. 
the average American household spends $4,000 more a year on organic food than on conventional food. Yeah, that probably matches up with our fruit budget, I think, for this for this kid. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He's just a, he's just all made of fruit. That's, that's, yeah. well, from what I know about your kid, he really likes, uh, bananas and giraffes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Bananas and giraffes. Uh, he only eats the bananas. We, uh, we, we're not actively God. buying God, a black not, market giraffe but if meat. You, but yeah, but if you did, it would be organic <laughs> giraffe meat. <laughs> all right. Only the best. So what, well, we, we talked a little bit about the whole USDA thing, but what exactly is organic food? You know, like what's the, difference here yeah i mean that's the question we all end up asking ourselves yeah. uh when we're we're in the line you know is it what is the difference or am i just paying extra so i don't have to think about what the difference mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. well so a lot of the like history and basic breakdown stuff that we're giving you here comes from uh the salem press encyclopedia's 2016 entry on organic food and the debate in particular but we also looked at i would say another god like 12 20 studies mm-hmm. of what's going on with organic food and science in particular organic food is any crop or animal product that's produced without pesticides man-made fertilizers additives or growth regulators. So we're talking about fruits, vegetables, grains, dairy, and meat. Now, so me being the vegetarian on the show, I was like, oh, right, meat. Like, I didn't even realize that you could buy organic meat, but that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, the whole meat, the whole meat issue is a kind of a, a subject unto itself, right? Yeah. Because you, you get into issues of not only like, like the organic uh, aspects of the food, but also the, uh, you know, how are the animals treated? Uh, what were they know, fed? What were they fed? Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's almost a whole podcast unto itself. Yeah. So the idea here originally was to encourage soil and water conservation. We go back to that 70s thing with the water crisis, mm-hmm. uh, and reduce pollution. So they started using natural fertilizers to feed soil and plants. Also included, or, or sorry, also excluded from the organic food uh, category would be genetically engineered foods. Fu- <laughs> That's another episode. Genetically engineered foods, human sewage, and yeah. irradiation that kills germs and bacteria. So you, you know, if you that's just a swamp thing situation <laughs> waiting to happen, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, toxic Avenger type thing. <laughs> but but seriously, yeah. So like those, uh, I think of uh, those like weird foods that have started popping up in grocery stores that are like. Uh, giant versions of the fruit that like we used to buy, you know? Oh like, yeah. The apples that are like twice the size and glow bright red and it's like, oh, they look super pretty. Well, that's because they're genetically modified and irradiated or whatever. Yeah, the, the kind of apples that I, I remember hearing, uh, they would, they would have them on set for Mad Men. And they, oh, they would right? have their um, their their historical accuracy department would come in and say, no, they're no, big. Yeah, they're too big. Like no, no apple um, would have been this size. That's funny. Or like, uh, you know, I uh, I shouldn't say this. And I'll, so I'll just throw out there that I don't know whether these are genetically modified or not, or if it's just a hybrid mm-hmm. uh, fruit, but grapples. Have you ever had one of those before? It's a grape apple combination. No. Yeah. Are uh, they the size of a grape? Is it like an apple the size of a grape or a grape the size of an apple? It's more like a smaller apple, if I huh. remember correctly. Yeah. I don't think yeah. I, I don't remember trying that one. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know necessarily that that would be considered organic, but I'm sure that there is a organic way to produce such a thing if you're I don't know, holistically growing them together. Yeah. Anyway, so for pest control, these organic farmers, they say, what they follow that guy's advice, that guy Howard, and they use biological means, 
crop rotation, and animal manure. Uh, and like I mentioned before, the USDA has strict governmental standards about what qualifies as organic. You don't get that seal without meeting with the USDA. Now, here's the thing. It's voluntary, but many producers use it. Why? Because of the marketing value, right? Yeah. Be- like, why else? Like, if you're a farmer and you say, you know what, I'm going to, like, change this whole production method that we're doing uh, to organic. You're doing it because you recognize that there's value in the market. Yeah, and you're creating a premium par- product that you can then they can then sell at a premium price. Yeah. One last thing. Keep in mind throughout this p- podcast, the words natural and organic are not interchangeable terms. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when we're talking about organic, that doesn't necessarily mean natural. Right. And to go back to my earlier point, if you want to get serious about agriculture and uh, just about anything in agriculture is not natural. Right. Unless you're you right. know, walking, you know, unless it's like hunter gatherer level. Yeah. Yeah. We actually did an episode of Brain Stuff that was sort of about like, uh, it, you know, if the world ends, like, how do I go about foraging for food? And I did all the research and wrote the outline for it. It was pretty fascinating. But like. Yeah, it's hard to find. Like dandelions is are one of the mm-hmm. few things that you can just eat, uh, but you can't eat them if they're like within something like fifty meters of any uh, road or or human uh, environment, like oh, a, wow. like a, even a farm, because mm-hmm. of the potential chemicals that could uh, travel on the air and get on them. So go dandelions. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to look at some of the science behind the pros and the cons for organic foods, uh, essentially the, the scientific argument that is still going on. At the end of this episode, you're still going to have to make up your own mind. So, so don't worry. We're yeah, not, we won't do it for we're you. We're not going to attempt to do it for you. Uh, but, yeah, quick break, and then we're right back in it. All right, we're back. So, yeah, let's talk about some of the pros and cons here. Let's start with, uh, well, let's, let's be positive and, uh, you'll start with the, the pros. What okay. is the science telling us about the advantages of organic food? Well, proponents say that organic farming reduces the environmental impact and protects the soil. However, experiments show over a number of years there is a 97% percent reduction in pesticides in organic fields. So, okay. So that's good, right? Yeah. A majority, and this is, this gets back to, uh, people with children. A majority of pesticides that are found in infants and kids originate from their diet. So it does seem to make sense for them to eat organic at these vulnerable ages, right? As their bodies are processing and growing. Another plus about organic foods is that they can counteract pesticide exposure too. There's studies that show uh, that that children who eat organic foods that have eaten uh, foods that have pesticides in them, it'll reduce the pesticides in their body by 50 to 80 percent. So it's like a you know cure light wound spell for uh, pesticides. So we're basically looking at a goal here of uh, reducing the amount of pesticide residue that's on the produce. Right? It's not like Let's, let's not, let's be clear here. Like conventional, uh, foods, it's not like they spray the pesticides on them and then they just put them in the grocery store, right? right? But there's a residue that's left over. Um, however, there are residues on both organic and non-organic slash conventional foods. They almost never, however, exceed government safety thresholds. So the USDA is just as strict with 
conventional uh, grown foods as they are with organic foods. So that's important to keep in mind. Yeah. Now, the uh, certainly the, the issue with kids is a big thing, and we're probably going to keep coming back to that. The um, In 2012, the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, advised parents to limit a child's exposure to pesticides. But they also uh, they didn't make a statement about whether organic foods are ultimately a better choice for children than conventionally grown foods. Uh, they 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 admitted that more research was was needed to nail it down. But they went ahead and made this this advisory, um, and and a lot of research has come in the wake of that. Uh, one study that is often mentioned, and this is ultimately a small study. But a 2015 study published in Environmental Health Perspectives looked at 20 Oakland, California kids and 20 kids from the agricultural region of uh, Salinas, 100 miles away. So they ate a conventional diet for four days and an organic diet for seven days, and then they returned to conventional foods for five days. Okay. Then, of course, we took some urine samples. Uh, Was why wouldn't you? Yeah. And uh, I mean, they're kids. There's going to be urine. Oh, yeah. It's It's going to be everywhere. 72% of their urine samples collected daily contained evidence of pesticides. But uh, of the six most frequently detected pesticides, two of them decreased by nearly 50% when children were on organic diets. Okay. And the levels uh, of a common herbicide fell by 25%. So the advantages there were pretty obvious, right? Yeah. So we'll tick that in, in the column for organic foods, that if, uh, in particular for children, Right. Uh, pesticides don't seem to be a great thing in their bodies. And if we want to reduce them, then organic foods is a good way to do that, either by just feeding them exclusively organic food or giving them organic food occasionally to reduce the pesticides in their bodies. And of course, this is all uh, this is all kind of, you know, important to me, too, as a, not only as a parent, but as, as an adoptive parent, because, um, you know, you, you enter into the scenario with so many unknowns about the, the child's past. Right, what and, their nutrition was. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know, you know, we knew basically, but mm-hmm. when it comes down to, like, was this organic that they were eating, you know, what yeah. was pesticide level, uh, et cetera, what, what other kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, agents were they exposed to, like, you, it's, it's easy to then just say, well, let's go as organic as possible, let's limit as much as possible any, any new, uh, you know, pollutants, any new yeah. pesticides thrown into the mix. That makes sense. And as far as pesticides go, we're learning more and more about how these substances travel and how they affect organisms. Uh, in 2000, uh, 2014 study published in Environmental Toxology and Chemistry uh, recorded pesticide compounds, including fungicides, in Pacific chorus frogs living in national parks, forests, and other locations high in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Mm. Now, in some cases, we're talking... Uh, 62 miles, 100 kilometers from the nearest farms that had used those chemicals. We're seeing those chemicals pop up in the frogs. And uh, the pesticides have uh, such as this have been found to harm frogs' immune systems, impact development, and even trigger sex changes. Granted, we're talking about sex changes in frogs. Right. Sex changes in amphibians, far different uh, situation than any kind of conceivable sex change in, in a, a human. human being. Right. Uh, but still, we're seeing we're seeing an impact on how their bodies work. Uh, we're seeing we've also seen connections to colony collapse in bees. Yeah. So. The take home here seems to be that that pesticides, first of all, when you introduce them to an environment, uh, they're not going to just stay in on that farm. They're, they they have a way of getting out. Oh yeah, they and, travel. Yeah. yeah, and then we see them harming vulnerable creatures such as uh, amphibians, such as frogs. Uh, so the underlying message here is, yeah, this seems like something we should reduce as much as possible, yeah. as much as is sustainable from a feed the world standpoint, and. And if you have the ability to limit the amount of these things going into your child, then then I 
feel like I should do it. Yeah. And from the, you know, also keep in mind from the perspective of like being pro organic, there's still like, as we're talking about how much it can travel, these pesticides can still get on organic fields because of how much they travel. Or for instance, if three years ago, a farmer was spraying pesticides, then they cleared the crop, then they started growing organic on that soil. There's still some pesticides in the ground there as well. Right. So, you know, it's complicated. Yeah, and there's a, I don't want to go into too much detail on this, but there's a 2014 study that was published in Environmental Health Perspectives, and they looked at uh, pregnant women living near fields treated with pesticides, and they observed a correlation between uh, proximity to pesticide fields and autism mm. in the in the children. So this study, just to give you a grounding here, 970 pregnant women, uh, one third left than uh, one third of them lived uh, less than a mile from a site where pesticides have been applied, okay. and the women had a 60 percent higher risk of having a child with an autism spectrum disorder if they lived uh, closest to those sites. Uh, but again, this is just one study. Yeah. And like uh, pretty much this is the, the kind of caveat we can throw out in any of these where we have a lot of individual studies looking at little corners, limited testing uh, um, populations and, of course, limited frames of time. We don't have those big, you know, century spanning uh, studies That's that in, big problem, involve lots of people. Yeah. So this whole like uh, podcast research was done during the same week that John Oliver released this scathing commentary on how science is reported in the news. And if you haven't seen it, I really recommend it. Uh, we actually did a piece on How Stuff Works Now about it. But uh, I had that in the back of my mind as we were working mm-hmm. on this. Every every study I saw, I was like, well, that's 20 people in California. I yeah. don't know. Like, does, what, what do we actually gather from that? And And as Oliver points out in his piece, it's like, well, what we need to be doing is replicating the studies so we can we can determine whether or not they're valid and then also doing a review of all of the studies, right? There's not often a lot of money to be made in those things, so they're not done. Luckily, in organic uh in the organic food debate, there have been a lot of reviews done. So that's right. a good thing. And in particular, um there so there was one that looked at uh, 34 studies from just the 70s until around now, and it found that organic vegetables have the same and maybe sometimes higher nutrient contents than non-organic conventionally grown food. Uh, the gist of this is it's probably not more nutritious to eat organic food. All right, so in this we're getting into that big study that came out in 2012 that was published in the Annals of uh, Internal Medicine. It stirred yeah. everyone up quite a bit with this, with these key findings. Yeah. And in this also we're we're definitely getting into the potential cons, the downside, or the just sort of the 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 even kill nature of organic uh, foods. And this is outside of cost, right? Like. You go to the grocery store and the first thing you think of as a con is like, well, that's a dollar more per thing, right? Or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Obviously that, that's a problem. It, it, you know, if they were the same price, maybe it would be a lot easier to see. Yeah. But I can only pay $3 extra, you know, so many times just mm-hmm. for a, uh, you know, a vague feeling of, of, uh, of betterness. Right. Well, keep in mind that four grand number that, uh, the average family is spending yeah. on to keep organic food in their home. Yeah, so this study is interesting. They collected 200 peer-reviewed studies. This is the crazy part to me. The way they started was they searched 50,000 papers 
that so there's been that many papers written over 50 years about organic food. So clearly mm-hmm. there's a lot of interest in this. Then from 50,000, they whittled that down to 162 that were relevant to the question of the nu- nutrient content. This required them to compare the nutrient content in organic and conventionally grown foodstuffs. Then they assessed the quality of each one of those articles, and of those, only 55 of those articles were identified as being of satisfactory quality. So this says something about sort of like the, the, um, I guess rigor of the scientific studies on organic foods alone, like how much quality was put into them and sort of like how much scrutiny was put into them for this particular annals of internal medicine uh, look. They ultimately came down and said, uh, we're going to identify the satisfactory quality and look at 13 of the most commonly reported nutrient categories uh, across the board here. Yeah, so a lot of this is coming down to nutrients. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, is organic a more nutritious choice than conventional? And the studies indicate that this is not the case. And the, one of the primary reasons is that organic and conventional veggies, they vary tremendously in terms of their nutritional payload. Right. So you have so many different factors, genetic makeup uh, of different varieties, the ripeness, the weather, when is this food coming in, where is it coming from, how long does it take to get there? It all factors in, and or, the organic-conventional divide is not the best uh, divide between higher and lower nutritional quality. And we don't have a good system to measure these things yet. Yeah, one of the really interesting sort of like anecdotes that put this into perspective for me is like you can go to the grocery store and you've got the carrots in front of you and one carrot can be sitting next to another carrot and it can have three times the amount of beta carotene as its neighbor that's on the same shelf and that's not even whether they're organic or conventionally grown right Mm -hmm. it's just based on all of these different factors that go into growing a thing in the world now, I also want to point out, and this this kind of dips back into our potential uh, pros uh, category here, but a, a July 2014 uh, British Journal of Nutrition study, they argued that uh, you see 17% more antioxidants in many forms of organic produce. Mm. Um, so uh, for some nutrients, organics might be better. For other nutrients, conventional might be higher. Again, it doesn't give us a clear indication but it maybe uh, you know pushes a few more points back in the in the pro category, and then of course another the, the, we're focusing here on on, uh, on nutritional value on antioxidants, but that's hardly the only factor here. We've already talked about pesticides, but then also there is the the distance that the food is traveling to reach you. Yeah, uh, so the way that this is measured is in something called food miles, uh, and there was a study that looked in particular at the greenhouse gases that were emitted when produce was transported long distance and how that mitigated the benefits of growing them organically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by food miles, what we're talking about here is the distance that the food travels from the field to the store. Ultimately, buying organic food is comparable to its environmental impact uh to conventional food grown bought at the market uh, based on the miles. And the example here goes like this. Uh, uh, essentially, so you got mangoes and green peppers. Let's look at those, okay? Mangoes travel from Ecuador or Peru to the United States rather than from Mexico to the United States. Mm-hmm. So they've got longer to travel, which means that they're you know burning more fuel. Green peppers... Uh, if they're grown organically, they're grown in Mexico instead of in the United States. So again, a further uh, food mile from, uh, as they say, from the farm to the market. 
and so ultimately that ends up adding to the environmental impact. So the take home here is if the recipe calls for mango, go ahead and substitute green pepper <laughs> and you can feel <laughs> a little better about green yourself. Pepper. Yeah, exactly. Well, what they actually recommend is they just say, you know, if, if, if it's that big of a concern to you, switch to locally produced food or go to your local farmer's market. Yeah, I think that's always a good. I mean, that's I, I enjoy going to the local farmers market, you know, and mm-hmm. and I and I say that with the caveat that there, yeah, you end up engaging in a lot of uh, a lot of judgment calls that are more yeah. based in, oh, well, this harkens back to some idealistic idea about what agriculture is. This feels more, you know, granola and and comfortable, but uh, but yeah, some of the some of the science indicates that it's a good choice. Some of the science indicates, uh, you know, maybe you're just paying extra for the, the feeling and the experience of going yeah. to that farmer's market yeah. as opposed to the nutritional take home. I suppose that's uh, like always keep in the back of your mind, like, uh, let's go back to that marketing study. Like, is how much of your egos involved in there and how much of your altruism is involved there? And yeah. like, sort of weigh the two against one another. Um, so there's, we said like there haven't been a lot of long term studies done here except one. There's one really long-term study being done, and it's out of UC Davis, and it's called the Long-Term Research on Farming Systems Project. It started in 1991, and the goal is for it to go 100 years so they can see what the benefits and cons of organic farming are. So it's been, well, it started in 1991, so it's been a little over 20 years at this point. After 10 years, they found one thing. Well, at least one thing that was worth reporting. Okay. Uh, tomatoes raised in organic plots contain significantly higher levels of certain antioxidant compounds. And okay. that gets us back to the antioxidant thing. Yeah. But for the most part, most studies about organic food are conducted over like a two, two and a half year span, if that. Mm-hmm. So we're not really looking at longitudinal effects on how this affects a human being throughout the course of their lifetime. But hey, when that study finishes up... Uh individuals who are alive then will have the benefit of the study and maybe they'll get to go see that Robert Rodriguez film that went in the vault and listen to that secret Wu-Tang album. All right, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to jump right into it. Hey, everybody, in this day and age, you have to have a quality website. You want to be professional. You want to look professional. Uh, the thing is, not everybody has access to uh, all the the top-shelf tools and uh, talents required to make a great website. And that's where Squarespace.com comes into play. They have all the tools and a very usable interface. You are not going to have to learn how to code in order to, in order to build a professional-looking website. Now, we want you to try this out for yourselves. Now is the time to build that website you've been dreaming of. So head on over to Squarespace and use our promo code MINDBLOWN. This will get you in the door with a 10% off your first purchase and a free domain. So get out there, Squarespace, build that website. All right, there's a couple other cons uh, to organic farming that we should hit here. So they may, like we said, they may or may not actually be healthier or less contaminated than conventional food. They're obviously more expensive. The reason why they're more expensive is because of intensive labor that's involved with hand weeding as well as the cost of feeding organic food to livestock, right? So mm-hmm. that, you know, grows over time. And like I said, even though uh, organic farmers don't use pesticides, chemicals can still blow in into their farms. And in particular, the soils can be polluted with something called 
polychlorinated biphenyls. Uh, and the soil there can be contaminated for up to three years. So that's why I've been saying three years over and over again throughout the episode is because mm-hmm. I had that research on the brain. Uh, also, in the 2000s, there were actually salmonella and E. coli outbreaks on organic foods like spinach. Oh, yeah. This has been in the news uh, very much so uh, yeah. of late uh, concerning so, certain uh, restaurants as well. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, too, right? So the reason why is food contamination can increase when farmers use manure instead of synthetic fertilizers. Why? Well, because bacteria exists in manure, right? It, it's more of a culprit for foodborne illnesses, and this bacteria can get into the soil, increasing that risk even further. But keep in mind, this is not isolated just to organic farming, right? We use manure for everything, mm-hmm. and it's in conventional food, too, right? I'm using it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then you've got the chemical and antimicrobial washes that I mentioned earlier as well. So they're allowed in conventional farming, not allowed in organic farming. Uh, so, but it leads to recalls of the foods that have the bacterial contamination in them, which is usually the organics that aren't sprayed with these washes. Uh, but you know, that depends on how, like, again, like, what do you want your food to be washed with? Water or, you know, antimicrobial chemical baths. Um, this accounted for, and by this I'm referring to specifically organic foods with bacterial contamination. It accounted for 5 to 7% of all of the food recalls during the first half of 2015. So our numbers are basically from 2015. Uh, you know, we're, we're in mid-2016 here and, and there hasn't been a... While there have been recalls, we haven't accounted for all of them yet. So probably because of organic foods expanding through the market share, that's why that food recall bacteria contamination has risen. It's not like because there's like a particular breakout necessarily. Right. It's more along the lines of, like we talked about earlier, people are buying a lot of organic food now. And one last thing that's a con of uh, produce, and this is definitely, I would fa- I would say, falls under the egoism uh, <laughs> clause here, is that uh, they spoil faster, right? Yeah. Because they don't have the preservatives and pesticides and all that, all the chemical stuff that makes them look great for a long time. Uh, they go bad quicker. Yeah, that's the like because I remember as a. I remember as a kid, we would get these, you know, the giant red apples that all, you know, they kind of have, they're kind of tasteless in a way, yeah. kind of waxy, but those things would last forever. Um, and nowadays, uh, especially if I'm at a certain store and we obtain a, a prepackaged con- uh, container oh, of yeah. organic uh, uh, produce, you get that home and you find, oh, well, all the ones at the bottom are already uh, starting to go yeah. bad. Yeah. So I'm left with, with half of what I paid um, a premium price for. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I have to eat those immediately or they're going to go bad. I get that, especially like when I buy spinach or mm-hmm. when I buy strawberries. There's inevitably uh, stuff that's already gone bad at the bottom, even mm-hmm. after I just first brought it home from the grocery store. But hey, that's uh, the way of life. All right. Well, you know, so 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 far, I, I feel like all that any of us can do is you sort of take all the information and figure out to what extent you're going to utilize it in your food choices, and then how you're going to roll that out. So for me, it sounds like what I would want to do is I I like the tomato fact, and hey, I like fresh tomatoes. I like fresh local tomatoes when they're in season. I should should go that route, maybe get the antioxidant boost. But what can I do about the pesticide issue? Yeah, well, you know, in terms of cutting pesticides out of your food, and maybe you also want to watch your budget, here are the most 
pesticide-laden foods in particular. So let's say you, you're like, all right, I want to buy organic just to, like, focus on the pesticides and, and keep them out of my kid's body, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, the most pesticide-laden foods are apples, celery, sweet bell peppers, peaches, strawberries, imported nectarines, grapes, spinach, lettuce, cucumbers, blueberries, and potatoes, Okay. However, the least pesticide residue is found on cabbage, onions, avocados, sweet corn, sweet peas, pineapples, mangoes, asparagus, kiwi, and grapefruit. So those are the ones that you can worry less about, right? Maybe, you know, if you're weighing the scales of justice between your pocketbook and uh, the pesticide factor, you know, maybe it's okay to go ahead and buy an avocado that's not organic. All right. So there you have it. Organic food, some of the pros, some of the cons, what the science is saying, what our hearts are saying. Yeah. And we would love to hear from everyone. Like, like I say, we are not trying to make up anybody's mind here. I would like to hear what, A, what your take on organic foods is. And then if you take any of the, the science to heart, if you take any of the, the, the arguments to heart, how do you roll that out in your own life? Like what choices uh, are you making what what is your line in the sand for yeah. organic and conventional another thing that we were not able to determine just by like doing the research that i have concerns about because i'm paranoid is <laughs> how these uh studies were funded too right yeah. like what kind of relationships the universities had with local farmers whether they're organic farmers or conventional farmers or just an industry in general how were they funded? Who were they partners with? Who are they friendly with? That kind of thing. You know, so maybe some of you are out there, you work in academia and you go, Oh, hey, I, I remember that study. The reason why it said that though was this, you know, yeah. the secret history behind it. I mean, I worked in academia long enough to know that things like that happen. Yeah. I mean, and it also comes back to the fact that there are major players involved here. This is, totally. a, this is, this is how we eat. So the, the government is involved. Uh, major organic food companies, major, major conventional food companies. Companies, and often those are the same companies mm-hmm. with their uh, their hands in both pots. Yeah, and let's remember that $1 trillion number, right? Yeah. Everybody's going to be fighting for a part of that pie, yeah. whether it's an organic pie or not. Indeed, indeed. All right, so hey, you want to get in touch with us, you want to reach out to us, uh, again, go to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's the mothership. That's where you'll find all the podcasts, videos, blog posts, links out to social media accounts like Facebook and Twitter. We are Blow the Mind on both of those. We are also on Tumblr and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And if you want to write us directly the old-fashioned way to talk to us about organic food, you can hit us up at BlowTheMind at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 